Have researchers discovered a map to the true location of the Ark of the Covenant? How would this discovery connect with the Bible's predictions regarding the end times? Find out today on A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs and my co-host Joe is currently on tour in Israel and appreciates your prayers today. However, we have a special guest with you. His name is Jim Barfield, director of the Copper Scroll Project. Let me tell you a little bit about his story. Back in 1952, an artifact known as the Copper Scroll was discovered in the caves of Qumran in Israel. This scroll described the location of the Ark of the Covenant, the Tent of Meeting, as well as many of the original artifacts and treasures from the First Temple period. What if these treasures could be found today? Jim Barfield, director of the Copper Scroll Project, believes he has decoded the locations in the Copper Scroll and has long pursued access to the scroll's locations in Israel. Today, we'll talk about the significance of these developments on A View from the Wall. Jim, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. I've heard good things about you. Well, thanks so much. And I know about a year ago, we were privileged to have author Shelly Neese on the program, and she discussed the book, The Copper Scroll Project, which features your story in it. But for those who may have missed it, start us off for a moment to share an overview of The Copper Scroll and your connection with it. Well, The Copper Scroll, it, 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 let's, let's start a little further back. Sure. Jerusalem was under siege by the Babylonians. And uh, Qumran was also one of the places that were attacked by the Babylonians. Well, they almost lost Qumran. Now, Qumran is where all these treasures are located. Qumran was the home of the prophets. Uh, guys, listen to me. It was the home of the prophets, and it was the home of the treasury for a very large portion of the temple treasures. That's how all this came about. And Jeremiah was the lead prophet at the time. Uh, you have to remember Zechariah, Haggai, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, all these prophets were contemporaries. Most people don't realize that, but they all, all were living at the same time. And that they were trying to hide these things. Well, what they did was they came up with an idea, well, let's hide them. And guys, we're talking tons and tons of silver, gold, and implements from the temple and tabernacle of Moses. They were having to hide those things and taking them out of the treasury that is at Qumran. That's where everything is at. And what they did was they took some copper sheets, three of them, about three feet. Each one was about two and a half uh, feet long and about a foot wide. And they wrote all the instructions at the, at the request and command of Jeremiah Five men wrote the Copper Scroll, putting amazing amounts of treasures, identifications, and locations on this Copper Scroll. So what it is, the Copper Scroll is a verbal treasure map. And guys, a History Channel just did a show on, they called me a history, a, a treasure hunter. I'm not. I am not a treasure hunter. Uh, what I am is a Bible student and a Bible historian. I love this stuff. And that's how I became interested in the Copper Scroll is because my interest in the Dead Sea Scrolls, because the Copper Scroll is one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They compiled all this data 
on that copper plate because that copper plate, they knew it had to last at least 70 years because Jeremiah said, guys, people of Jerusalem and, and Judea, you're going into captivity. Don't pray about it. Don't worry about it. Just load your stuff and go because you're going to spend 70 years in captivity. And by golly, they did. They spent 70 years in captivity and two young men. It even says it on a book called the Mechamelech, or the Treaties of the Temple Vessels. It says that five men wrote the Copper Scroll, Shemur Halibi, Hezekiah, Zedekiah, now listen, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edu the prophet. So those are two men that you know who they are. We They've got uh, books in the Bible, and they were part of this, hiding these treasures, and they were young men, probably age of bar mitzvah in Israel is 13. And they were probably around that age because those two young men, I think they used young men, promising and intelligent young men, so that they would last the full 70 years of captivity. And they would, by the time they got back, they would still be, you know, probably in their 80s, 90s, somewhere in there. And the people of Qumran lived Historically, they lived 120 years because of their lifestyle and their diets. They lived biblically kosher diets, and they were very, very healthy people. So that's the purpose of the Copper Scroll. That's the people who wrote it, and that's how the Copper Scroll, uh, the, the history of the Copper Scroll came about. No, that's a fascinating story, and it's become a big deal. You've been featured on the History Channel recently, as you've mentioned. I want to, before we go to our break, to describe a little bit about what the treasures include. There's a passage, for example, in Ezra 1 that talks about the different items that came back from Cyrus of Persia when they rebuilt the temple. It talks about 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, and much more. And this is just some of it. What are some of the items besides the Ark of the Covenant that are mentioned in the Copper Scroll? Well, the majority of the items on the Copper Scroll are ingots. Now, you got to understand these ingots are not just little, uh, you're talking uh, 75-pound ingots. And the way that uh, it's been described to me is they would melt this gold or silver into, like, disks. And those disks would be approximately an inch thick and about... 12 inches around, maybe a little bigger, because you got to remember silver and gold are very dense, and they would weigh about 75 pounds. And in one location, location number two on the Copper Scroll, they've got 900 gold, uh, highly polished gold, they're very pure gold, 900 ingots, 75-pound ingots uh, called the talent, 900 talents of gold in one location. But the, the items that you just mentioned in Ezra, Ezra only scratches the surface. And there's other documents that tell what is that. The Copper Scroll gives a, several times it says 900 talents of gold and silver. Or does, it, does it mean 900 uh, silver talents and 900 gold talents? I don't know. But the most important items listed on the Copper Scroll is, is what they call the treasures of the house. In Hebrew, that would be the Beit, the Beit HaMikdash. The Beit HaMikdash is the temple. Yes. A lot of your scholars are going to argue with me, and I don't care. They can argue until heck freezes over. Uh, this was all done at the time of Jeremiah, and it was. these are all first temple treasures. The treasures of the house are the, uh, the table of showbread, altar of incense, 
and all the things that you would find in the holy place. And very possibly, if you, if you believe what Second uh, Maccabees says about Jeremiah hiding these items, they said that they were in the area of Qumran, and they hid all these items in a buried cave. And in that buried cave is a is not only the Ark of the Covenant, according to these uh, these uh, Second Maccabees, but on the Copper Scroll it doesn't say Ark of the Covenant. It says the treasures of the house. Well, the treasures of the house aren't gold and silver. It's the items, the most valuable, incredible items would be the items that Moses and the people of that during Moses' time frame that they put together and hid. And it's described the same way on the Copper Scroll as it is in Second Maccabees, the location. It describes the, uh, the cave, and, and it gives incredible detail uh, on how to identify the cave. And that's how I found these things. Well, I hope you're enjoying this fascinating discussion. We'll be right back after this break for more on the Copper Scroll on A View from the Wall. From I Am A Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am A Watchman Minute. Let me share a thought about patience. Many are familiar with the story of Nehemiah, how he was an official in the Persian court, received permission to leave his post and help Hebrews in Jerusalem rebuild, and with God's blessing, completed the Great Wall Project in just 52 days. Now, Nehemiah's burden to leave his post is noted in chapter 1, after which he prayed and prayed and waited for God to move. Chapter 2 notes that four months later, God presented an open door to speak with the king and request permission to leave. It took twice as long for permission to be secured than it did to build the wall. God's timing is not our timing, but it is always perfect. Like Nehemiah, be patient, wait on the Lord, follow His leading, walk with and learn from other watchmen, and you will be blessed. Be bold, be faithful, be a watchman. Iamawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We're talking with Jim Barfield, director of the Copper Scroll Project, about the locations of the temple treasures and their significance today. The Copper Scroll was discovered in the caves of Qumran, which is now an Israeli national park, but the actual Copper Scroll, or the map, is in Jordan now. So, Jim, as we continue our discussion, talk a little bit about how the politics and the nationalities influence any discoveries or research when it comes to the Copper Scroll. Well, let me tell you this, starting to start this off, we actually did begin an excavation in 2009 uh, at Qumran. I didn't have to pay a penny. I didn't have to fill out one piece of paper. Once I showed my research to the head of the Antiquities Authority, Shuka Dorfman, uh, Yitzhak Magan and Yuval Pelek were sitting there with me, and they were the two top men over uh, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Uh, the older gentleman, Yitzhak Magan, was the top guy for archaeology in those two areas. But the head of the Antiquities Authority over all of Israel was Shuka Dorfman, and he is the one that set up a meeting with me and the uh, the guys from the uh, ADCA, the Archaeological Department of the Civil Administration, which is West Bank and Gaza. Now, they set it up. Yuval Pelik actually went out there with me uh, a few days ahead of time. We checked everything out, and he asked me where we should dig, and I showed him. That's all I had to do. 
they showed up at the location at Qumran with a team of diggers and all the implements, everything we needed to do, and we started an excavation. But they stopped us, and they got a phone call. He got a phone call. Yuval Pellet got a phone call, and he looked at me and walked away from the dig, and he was, you could tell he was, his countenance changed. What happens is this. The, there were some guys here in the United States started a big fuss over it, and I don't want to go into that. But what happens is, if anything is found in the West Bank or the Gaza Strip, it's under a, it was under a very strict set of rules by the Oslo Accords established years ago during the Clinton administration. Well, the Oslo Accords have been a pain in the bottom of everyone, and they did not want anything that was, that is pre-Solomon time frame. They didn't want anything exposed and, and, shown to the world. They wanted to keep that secret because if we would have found something that day, <clears throat> and uh, we almost did, I think, if we would have found something, then there would have been a big court battle in the in the uh, world court over who owns it, the Palestinians, the Jordanians, or the Israelis. And guys, this belongs to Israel. No other country, not the United States, no one else, just to Israel. That is that politics we're up against. However, uh, the the things are changing, and whenever you're ready, we'll talk about that. But are there any other questions? Because that's the big holdup right now, is not just the concern over the, the safety of these vessels, it's the ownership of the vessels that are also at stake here as well. Well, continue that discussion. Tell us about how things are changing now and the impact it could have on your research. Uh, it's changing in an amazing way. President Trump has really kicked some doors open uh, for Israel. And there is some amazing things that are happening. One being the capital of Israel is now legally identified as Jerusalem. Uh, the Gaza Strip, they are planning, as we speak, they are planning to annex what is called the Jordan Valley. And that is a strip of land right along the west side of the Jordan, all the way from you know, just about all the way up to the uh, Sea of Galilee. And it incorporates or includes Qumran. If they annex that, that's going to take all this Oslo Accord nastiness out of the way, and it's going to may open it up for a simpler excavation at Qumran. So it's it, the biblical stuff that we've been looking for, ladies and gentlemen, if this is ha truly going to happen, this is one of the big signs of the coming of the Messiah. There's four uh, old documents that talk about the finding of these treasures, and each one of them say it will be the time of the restoration of Israel, it will be the reunification of Israel, and it will also, there was two of them that said, it will be the time of the coming of the Messiah. So if we find these items and everything happens the way we suspect, it could be an incredible event for all of us. 
Well, that's a, a great insight because for many of our listeners, they are familiar with the end times tribulation period where it talks about a future temple that will be rebuilt in the first half of the tribulation. And when we talk about the temple being rebuilt, we also start talking about what will be in the temple. And you're talking about finding the first temple treasures. There certainly could be some prophetic connection with this as well, couldn't there? Oh, it's huge prophetic. Um, and, and they'll think this too. If, if, in fact, the items are all in the cave that I've identified, or the area that I've identified, if they're in there, and if those items include the ashes of the red heifer, and I'm sure they will, and it also says in Second Maccabees that tabernacle itself is hidden inside of that cave. Wow. If they have that tabernacle, they could set it up. And, guys, people think this is an Antichrist situation. No, it's not. That's ridiculous. It is not about the Antichrist. It's based about the coming of the Messiah. That's right. what it's about. And these people are so afraid of the Antichrist. Why? The book says that we win. It may be three and a half years, <laughs> maybe seven years of tough times. <clears throat> but guys, it's coming. At some point, if you believe Scripture, it's coming. And what they're doing, what the, the Jewish people are doing is not an evil thing. It's a blessing. It is yes. an incredible blessing that is going to come about. And it, it will usher in the time of the Messiah. Well, those who follow Bible prophecy are probably already aware that simply the establishment of modern Israel is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You have the restoration of the people to the land, speaking the language of Hebrew once again. And here you have a discussion that we're taking today about the Copper Scroll and the possibility of finding first temple treasures so that the temple can be rebuilt just as the scriptures predict. This is an amazing story. And I just want to throw out one other thing before we go to break here. You think about it, uh, we have Second Chronicles 35.3, where King Josiah said to the Levites to put the ark in the house of Solomon, uh, which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. And a lot of people think that's not just being put in the temple because it was already there, that it was being put in some secret location. Now, does that have some kind of significance with the copper scroll as well? Absolutely it does, because King Josiah was—Jeremiah <clears throat> was a young boy when King Josiah was king. Right. Jeremiah was—and if you remember, at the very first of Jeremiah, it talks about uh, that God tells him, don't be afraid, that don't say you're a little boy. He was anointed to be a prophet of God, <clears throat> and Josiah hid these items. He knew what was happening. He hit him, and Jeremiah was part of that. His dad, Jeremiah's dad, was actually the high priest at the time of Josiah, and he was receiving what is called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So they were all involved in this. And if it's true that there is a tunnel all the way from Jerusalem all the way out to Qumran, they could have used that tunnel to take these items, the tabernacle, the altar of incense, the sacred showbread, and the Ark of the Covenant, and hidden them out in Qumran easily. So that is something that people, especially Bible scholars, need to take into consideration. Well, this is an amazing discussion. We'll be back with more after this break at A View from the Wall. Stick with us. No one goes to an adventure movie and leaves before the climactic ending, but that's exactly what many people do with the Bible. Author and animator Todd Hampson. Revelation is the most neglected book of the Bible, but it's the one book that explicitly says you will be blessed if you read it and study its words. 
My new book, The Nonprofit's Guide to the Book of Revelation, features original artwork, including comic strips, easy to understand charts, illustrations, infographics, and more. The Nonprofit's Guide to the Book of Revelation is literally fun to read, and it will help you to understand all of the key features of the Bible's final book. Todd produces comically illustrated books and products that help readers consider the claims of Bible prophecy in order to face today with a sense of joy, courage, clarity, and purpose. The Nonprofit's Guide to the Book of Revelation is his latest, and it's available in the bookstore at IamAWatchman.com. The Nonprofit's Guide to the Book of Revelation. It's the easiest way to understand the hardest book of the Bible. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We've been talking with Jim Barfield, director of the Copper Scroll Project. And I don't think that people who are listening fully understand the significance of this discussion. I think to myself, when I look in the Bible and read about the Ark of the Covenant, what was in the Ark of the Covenant? We're talking about the Ten Commandments, the very words that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. How significant would that be if that discovery were to be made public today? It would be earth-shaking. I'm telling you. It'd be like 9-11 on steroids because you remember the whole, all of the United States shut down. I think the same thing would happen. I had a rabbi talk to me about this, and he was a senior rabbi in Israel. And he, he was really excited about the discovery, and he said, do you know what this means to my people? I said, of course. I said, it means the same thing to my people. And he said, he said Jim, what you have found, he said, is the dowry of the coming bride. Now, that's coming mm. from a rabbi. Yes. The dowry for the coming bride. Oh, my but goodness. when he said that, it all clicked in my head. And I'm going to stop there. <laughs> what an amazing story. There's so much more that we're not going to be able to get to in our program. How can people get in touch with you and your ministry? The best way is go to the Copper Scroll Project website, copperscrollproject.com, all one word, all lowercase. And I would love to come to speak at your congregation. And guys, we don't worry about money. We are trying desperately to get the word out to the Christians, and especially to my Israeli brothers. We want them to know what's potentially on the horizon. It's huge. It's important that I come speak to them and let them know. Yes, we want to help people connect with you in any way we can. And we want to encourage you as well, if you didn't catch earlier, uh, we talked about Shelly Knees has written about this, the Copper Scroll Project book that you can find. So uh, you can go to our website and get some more information on that as well. But we like to end each program with a word of challenge directly to our Watchman community. And Jim, I know you've encountered a lot of skepticism or criticism on this project over the years, and Watchmen face a skeptical world as well. People don't like to be reminded that this world is not our home and the job of a watchman is to spread the gospel to people who sometimes don't want to hear it. So for someone who's faced your own share of criticism, what words of encouragement do you have for a watchman today? I don't work for them. I work for somebody in a much higher position. We are working for someone much higher, much more important than all these critics. And there are a lot of critics, but I promise you, multiply that by 100, and that's how many supporters we've got. People just seem to gravitate towards this. They seem to instinctively know that what I'm telling them is true. So I encourage them just to stay the course, don't give up, and know that you can hear the footsteps of the Messiah. If you sit outside tonight, and it's, he's coming. And everybody needs to be prepared for that. 
Yes, well, just that ongoing reminder that Jesus is coming back any moment and we need to be prepared. And the signs are clear. If we look, we can see so many things coming together at this moment in history. And we want you to be encouraged. We want you to be equipped. We want you to evangelize those around you. And Jim, we want to thank you for being with us. Uh, again, the Copper Scroll Project at copperscrollproject.com. As we wrap up today, I just want to encourage you to visit us at iamawatchman.com. You can download this program, connect with us. Thank you for being with us and join us here next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.